Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. In 2017 was a hell of a year. Bitcoin was bullying. Crypto 101 was started. ICOs were raising a buttload of money and a lot of shady stuff was happening in the background. And we got a phone call from Mr. Mario Nawfall, CEO of IBC Consulting. And he said, dude, I want to tell you some stories about the ICO world from a consultant's point of view back in 2017. And I was like, word? And he's like, word. But before you get into that conversation, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com. There, join our social medias. We have an amazing swag prize Christmas holidays giveaway happening on our Facebook page right now. So go to our Facebook page to find out how to participate. You can win our book, Crypto101's Chinese Guide to Cryptocurrency. You can win some amazing swag from different companies. You can win a couple Nano Ledger S's in many different colors or an XYO Geo Mining Kit, which is pretty damn cool. So check that out on our Facebook page. Also, give the gift of learning cryptocurrency, blockchain, and digital assets by going to amazon.com, searching for Crypto 101's book, and gifting it for the holidays. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, you name it, we're on it. Well, besides Spotify, actually. But everywhere else. So, Enjoy this conversation with Mario Nawfall, and we'll see you after the show. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Mario Nawfall, founder of IBC and IBI, welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Nice to speak to you again, Matthew. How are you? Man, I'm good. How about you? Good, man. Long time no speak. Yeah, man. Very long time. Long time no speak. We've been chatting on and off for the past, I think, probably two years. Um, I had Pete on the show, which was a partner of yours in IBC back way in the beginning of Crypto 101. And me and you have been talking about different things over the years in the ICO space, the STO space, fundraising, VC funds, all kinds of things. And well, man, it's finally good to have you on the show. It's good timing as well. The, the industry is coming back to reality, so I think I'm more excited than ever now. So that's why I'm excited to do the interview myself now because um, now I can talk about things in a you know, in the real world. I come from the traditional space with businesses and, and crypto was just too crazy for me. I was doing what I was doing, but nothing made sense. But now things do make sense. Things are stabilizing and it's good that we can build something of value and a lot of cool stories to tell your, uh, your listeners as well. Awesome, man. Well, let's start with the first story. The first story is Tell us about yourself. Who is Mario? Started business at a young age. I think I started business. I was 20, uh, 22, I think 22, 23. Started with e-commerce, knocking on doors, built my first business, did well, you know, got to seven figures in the first year, eight figures by the second. That was back in Australia. And then just grew from there. Got into blockchain last year. But before that, I've launched many businesses in different countries. And I just enjoy what I do just to build things. So Mario, talking about your businesses, you said you started at a young age, you hit seven figures, then eight figures. Bro, that's a lot of money for a young man to be making. What were the businesses and how was your hustle? There's a lot that happened. I started in e-commerce. I did things differently. I So I dropped out of university. I was doing banking and finance. I dropped out, started, you know, because I realized you can make money at a young age. Back then, I had no idea what entrepreneurship was. So I lived in Australia. And I started knocking on doors, selling blenders and juices, which I didn't know anything about them. Um, and I started learning. I, I had the mentality of following the money. I would find trends and capitalize on them by doing things differently. Um, blockchain, to an extent, you know, I found a trend, but at the same time, 
it's more of a long-term trend. It's an investment for the long run. Blenders and juices, similar concept, finding a trend, but it was a lot shorter term. It worked mm. well. We got in seven figures, eight figures. I'm sure a lot of people in the crypto space managed to do that pretty quickly. <laughs> for anyone listening to this interview that started business in crypto and made that type of money, you're a very lucky person to be in such an industry. Making that type of money is not easy outside of crypto. And now you're probably back to reality. I was speaking to one guy who um, owns another firm that does similar thing to what IBC does. Great person. I won't name the company. His first business was that company. He never did business before. But speaking to him, his incredible optimism, he's heading down a dangerous path because he's expecting the heyday of what we had back in 2017 to be back. No, I, you know, what we had in 2017 was just, uh, you know, you're lucky to go through that. Well, that type of growth. Let's talk about that type of growth in a minute. But first, I want to talk about IBC. What is IBC? From the bare bones, you, you were door-to-door with juicers and blenders and things like that. Entrepreneur, hustling the streets, dropped out of school. And then you said, I'm getting into the crypto space. And you said, IBC, ICO, STO Consulting. Tell us about that. Sure. So uh, I dropped out of uni, so I finished school. Now, after selling you know, door-to-door blenders and juicers, which is the first thing I did, I've expanded my companies and I was doing a lot of consulting. I was helping entrepreneurs. I also had a business called Go Global in which I had I helped startups, traditional startups, raise capital, but also create a product and expand it globally, do the marketing. ICOs were a similar concept. It was just in crypto. So IBC started off offering that service, the marketing, the consulting for ICOs, and of course, STOs now. And at the same time, I teamed up with a lot of experts in the space. So I try to always stay humble. I teamed up with a lot of great dev, devs to uh, start working on enterprise projects as well. And my focus since the beginning was private placement. Um, I knew that the, the hype you had with ICOs was not going to last. So we started focusing on offering uh, connecting VCs and have, uh, family offices to ICOs, to startups. So that's what IBC does. Various services for ICOs and STOs and connecting startups and VCs. So in 2017, we'll just go back to your original statement. 2017 was a heyday. When did you start IBC and when did you realize that 2017 was going to be bonkers? IBC started late 2017. I did not expect the hype to last that long. I remember having internal chats, talking to the team about you know, the growth we're experiencing, clients paying incredible amounts of money to launch an ICO as quickly as possible without thinking twice. I, I, I'm surprised the ICO market lasted that long. What does that mean? Let's unpack uh, some of these statements because you said that you started in late 2017. The ICO market already been popping off. Did you go in because you saw it popping off? And then when it comes to ICO spending a lot of money to r- launch an ICO as soon as possible, can you tell us what does that mean? Like break that down. What are they spending money for? How much are they spending? Where are we spending it? But what was surprising is not the amount of money they were spending. The speed in which they were signing the agreement. They were going to discussions. These are enterprise deals. They would take months to close. We've got salespeople that were not that great because finding salespeople that had blockchain knowledge was not easy. We've got salespeople closing six-figure deals. They were you know, having the time of their life. And again, thinking that that was just normal. They were great, but I was a salesman all my life. That was not normal. Mm-hmm. You don't spend that type of money that quickly. And what, um, what is quickly? Just one day, two days, an hour? These, these type of projects, you know, to, to close a client for that amount of money, it takes months. Enterprise mm-hmm. time, you know, for, for an enterprise deal to close, 
six months, 12 months, you build those relationships and you have to do it right. And as a salesperson, you have to give them a lot of value, a few calls. We, do, we offer assessment sessions. We had clients that closed after a week. We've got one client, I remember, they signed up with another agency. Then they spoke with one of our salespeople who was a really good salesperson. And you know, the salesperson gave them a spiel about what we could do. I didn't know the story until afterwards. The client froze the payment to that other party, the other agency, and then went ahead with us. We close the client for six figures in about a week. That's that's just crazy. That's insane. What kind of commission was the salesperson making from this? Don't know the numbers, but it was it was definitely not type of money I was getting when I was a salesperson. Uh, but in terms of percentage, uh, again, I don't want to name people, but the guy that was running the sales team back then, he started off with a very high commission. Um, so I was not that involved with IBC in the early stages. Um, so he started off with um, 10 to 15%. Um, so that was way too high. And I think that was brought down to about 4 or 5% mm-hmm. um, as soon as I brought in my CFO from my other company to come in and clean things up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What kind of ICOs were you closing? And when you say that they're closing in a week and they wanted to make sure that they got in there, raised the money, first, when they paid you, what did you do for them? ICO services were mainly tech and marketing. Mm-hmm. That was essentially it. As IBC, you couldn't offer legal services. Some agencies did offer legal advice, but that's illegal. But IBC cannot do that. It was mainly technical and marketing. They were throwing money at marketing because it was so easy to get a ROI on that money. So when you were throwing the money at marketing, what were you throwing at? Was it Facebook ads? Was it influencers? What, what, what was the money going to? I wasn't involved, as I said. So I didn't actually do the marketing for any of the ICOs. In the early days, my involvement was very little kind of backfired as we'll find out later we did a lot of community management social media marketing i'm trying to remember we did obviously paid ads i think i'm not sure whether the client did it and we advised them and obviously influencer marketing is something we do now how much we spent on each one that's beyond me i should have brought in my cmo on this call right on right on no no worries no worries so now that we painted the picture of the ico space IBC getting into the market right when it was going bonkers. And we understand what IBC did. They helped get the capital, raise money, do the technicals. Uh, Basically, I would assume there's white papers involved, finding the people to build out some sort of uh, mock blockchain thing and then uh, putting marketing out there. Tell us about some of these ICOs. Of course, we don't have to name names, but there has to be a horror story or two. We've had many horror stories. I'm just trying to figure out what I can say and what I cannot. Anything that I sense was close to breaking the law in any way, I would immediately say, you know, just say no to the money. We don't need it. Um, So that's in terms of, if you're referring to horror stories in terms of scams, I stayed the hell away from that. None of our projects received a subpoena as far as we're aware. There's a few we rejected that ended up in the press, but the ones we accepted, nothing like that happened. Um, Horror stories in terms of client scams, I said there's none. Horror stories in terms of clients doing things wrong, yeah. Uh, We've had... Again, clients saw this as a wild west. They would sign a contract and then breach it, thinking that you know there's no repercussions, and uh, that's not the case. We've got even one ongoing case now against a big client. They um, just decided well, after we did all the work and we did one hell of a job, and um, we got paid for one invoice, not the second. And now we're chasing the second one, a, a very large sum. It's a very large client in the industry, who I can't name. 
and they've got an incredible project. But now that reality, everything's coming back to reality. Suddenly they're realizing the contracts do stand. So you can call this a horror story because such blatant breaches of a contract by a reputable large company with plenty of financial backing is so stunning. I've been in business long enough to never see those things. Contracts are there for a reason. Um, Go ahead, man. <laughs> tell, tell, how about this? Uh, another story as well. I had two salespeople. You can choose what you want to put in the podcast. We had two salespeople. I won't name them. One of them I'm back with being a bit more friendly with. And we found out they're taking clients from us and, and trying to close them with someone else. I never thought that was possible because what client will pay $600,000, $200,000, $100,000 to people with a website and a business name, but no reputation, no references, nothing at all. Mm-hmm. I thought it was impossible. Somehow in crypto, it was possible back in 2017. Anyone could be sold crazy stories, would believe anything, like the FBI buying $20 billion worth of Bitcoin. I was in Dubai back then, you know, stayed there for a few months. And I found out that that salesperson was working possibly with another salesperson to try to funnel deals out of IBC. I don't think they were able to take any. And then it turns out they were working with a partner that was working with us. His name is G. G. Guo, I think. Jerry Guo. Yeah, the guy that said he worked with Polymath, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's the one that came in. Pete introduced me to him, wanting to partner with IBC. He said, hey, I have a client for you guys. It's Polymath. They want to spend a lot of money. We sent a proposal to Polymath. They replied to us. So Polymath is the SDO platform. Pretty reputable business. They replied to us saying, what's that proposal for? We have no idea what you're talking about. So Jerry was that partner that promised us a lot and then eventually started trying to take clients from IBC and now he's in jail. So that's another crazy story. And then I'm dealing with my own crazy stories at IBC of all these shady things that were being done during the hype that are coming to light now as we dig into everything and um, find out that true colors show up when the tide disappears. Crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. (laughs) But that's why I I don't regret everything because those memories are, are worth a lot, man. They're great lessons to learn. So that's in terms of horror stories when I came in finding how messy things are and I had to bring in a lot of team members from our other companies to clean up a lot of the mess. So we had one guy who kept chasing us to buy crypto. He wanted to buy, I think it was six figures worth of crypto. That mm-hmm. made more sense. You know, it wasn't in the millions. He wanted, I think, 200,000. And then he wanted to go into the millions. His name was, was uh, you can bleep it out. Or I, I'll just mention his first name is and, uh, you know, it's just uh, I've never had those type of deals. I've never done that type of business before. And then he wanted to meet face-to-face. Like We keep telling him, you don't need to meet face-to-face. It's not the way it works. You could put on a trezor. There's a whole process in place, and we can verify, et cetera. And he's like, no, no, that's not how I do business. We meet face-to-face. Can you come to Paris? I'll pay the flight. I'll pay transport. And then uh, we go sit in a nice restaurant, et cetera. And I'll get someone else from my jewelry business to join us. And no, me and were laughing about it, you know. We're laughing about it. I'm like, you know, let me let me go there for fun. And I speak French as well, uh, fluently. So I go to Paris. I was in Slovenia for a day just to see what it's all about. And it gives me the address to meet him. It was next to the Eiffel Tower, some really, really poshy restaurant. So I go there, sit there to meet him. You know, I'm wearing my Lululemon pants, just comfortable. I don't wear suits anymore. I can't be bothered. And I'm just sitting there waiting. I can't wait for this to end. So I can go out. I was fasting the day before because I wanted to eat 100 croissants. I missed them. I'm sitting there waiting, and then the guy shows up dressed impeccably. You know, you got the, the handkerchief and the suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another older guy with him. Both of them have you know, Rolex watches on it, some, some expensive watch. 
And um, he's got that stick, you know, and like the evil villain stick. I'm not kidding. It's all true. I don't know if I took photos because I like to remember those crazy things. And I sit there and they start telling me about wanting to buy crypto and the way they want to do it, et cetera. And, and how he's invested in crypto, asking me for advice. I'm telling him, you know, I have no idea. I don't know what tokens to recommend to you. And he just wanted to meet face to face. And then he liked me because I spoke French. And then afterwards, they wanted to meet again. And I met, I went there again because I wanted to go there. I'm like, you know, I'll meet you in France for fun. And we caught up for the first time. And they wanted to meet us in a special bank to give us the money. We sit there and then the buyer was in the US, had to wire the money to an account. And it was like a, a James Bond movie. It was being done legally. But at the end of the day, it just sounded way too fishy. was leading it with, uh, I can't remember who else from the team. And I just called it all off. So we didn't proceed with it. And, um, you know, you've got that weird guy. His name is his jewelry friend. And talking about Ferraris, a lot of money. I'm sure we were about to be scammed. So that didn't go through. And then the story I told you before, also an OTC deal. Pete and another guy, another salesperson from my team, they were doing OTC deals. I didn't want to touch them. It just wasted time because I knew none of them were legitimate doesn't make sense. Multi-billion dollar deals. And there's one of them, the, probably the biggest one we had, $20 billion they wanted to buy in their crypto. And, you know, I'm like, All right, have fun with it. You know, update me only when, you know, things are, there's money in the bank or it's about to be done, which I knew will never happen. But, you know, for fun, I ask him, you know, he's updating me sometimes for fun. He said, no, Marius, actually, I had my doubts, but it's looking pretty serious. We met the guys, they're legitimate. Matthew, I do a bit of due diligence. There's no company name. I'm like, what's the company name? Oh, they keep this confidential. I'm like, who's doing the the uh, KYC? I'm like, they do it. I mean, they can't KYC themselves. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Even if this was a scam, it's not a proper scam. And then another day, I'm chatting to just brainstorming for the day and asking, you know, how's that $20 billion OTC deal going? Because Mario, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, I mean, the $20 billion OTC deal. There's only one. We were talking about it three days ago, laughing about it. Mario, I don't know what you're talking about. And I sit there waiting. I'm like, is he seriously thinking we're being bugged right now? I'm like, are you being serious? He's like, yes, Mario, I am. I'm like, all right, man, I'll talk to you later. And then I hang up and I look at my messages. He's like, yes, I know what you're talking about. I'd rather not to discuss, not discuss it. Mm. I'm like, what is going on? And then I speak to the other salesperson that's dealing with it. He's like, Mario, I met them and they told me the truth. They're actually the FBI and they want to buy, they want to start getting into crypto. Yeah, they, they thought it's the FBI wanting to buy $20 billion worth of uh, Bitcoin. What? And this person, the salesperson, they're both smart. He's a smart guy. I like him. And if, if the other salesperson, he's got a license to be able to be a broker dealer and he's working in the banking space. So he's a smart man. A lot of smart people fell into this, this hype of crazy money flying around. Obviously, the $20 billion deal, eventually they told me it's it's all fake. But there's two crazy stories with the details. And I think if I think twice, there's more of these OTC crazy stories of people having hidden, secret, private, confidential, multi-billion dollar buyers and sellers of Bitcoin that never materialized. Some of these guys, some of these players in the ICO game, or maybe some of these, let's say, influencers or advisors were kind of maybe playing with the ICO money. All this money was raised and then it was put to these advisors or these people that were entrusted to either market or promote or make connections for them. And actually, there's been a couple that are doing some time right now. Do you know about any of those or heard any of those? Um, and can you tell us some of those stories? Sure. I don't look. I know that promoting an ICO, if it's considered a security, um, you know, you you have to disclose it. Many did not disclose it. That's illegal. In the news, you have, know that Mayweather and DJ Khaled, 
are paying fines because of this and they can't promote a security for X number of years. Um, I know there's the whole bit connecting. I wasn't, you know, I didn't look into, I wasn't looking at all these influences. It was just, it, it, I looked at a few because I knew ICOs wanted to pay those money. I didn't touch those type of influences that would promote any token. It doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't make sense how these things could happen. It was like a delusion. Everyone was doing things thinking that they were outside of the law, outside of reality. And there's more to come. I speak to a lot of lawyers and people who, who work with regulators. There's a lot more coming. The SEC just started doing what they do. And a lot of these people that were promoting ICOs, influences that many of the listeners here may have watched if you've got listeners that were in crypto, and I'm sure you did, and you still do, in crypto back during the hype. A lot of these influences will be getting some sort of um, warning from the SEC. And then you've got the reputable guys, one person who I know very well, uh, Ivan on tech. He does not just promote any random ICO. He offers value. He you know, he trains developers. He talks about the technology. Those are the people that will stand the test of time. And those are the people I've built relationships with, um, even on a personal level. There's another gentleman, Block Geeks. Not, not off the top He's, of my head, honestly. I wasn't. He offers anyone, any, any of your listeners, he offers a lot of value as well. And he was always focusing on the technology. Those type of influences will benefit as the market starts to pick up and the, the blockchain technology starts to bring value to the world. Um, and everyone involved in that whole token hype. That's um, that's going to be something we might be laughing about now and, and in the future. So the token hype of 2017 and that whole thing, you said everybody who was involved, everybody thought it was the wild, wild west. I guess there's been a lot of talk so far. I mean, we've talked for 18 minutes about what was happening at the time, but I really still don't have anything that is substantial. Yes, people were saying it's the wild west. We knew that. Yes, money was disappearing and money was coming in crazily. Yes, but... What are some specific examples of what was happening? Because I don't think, and I'm asking this question specifically because I don't think people really know. People don't know what was happening behind the scenes. People don't know what people were thinking. And it's a lot, not only about... At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply taking money hey i took money but was i intentionally stealing money 
what were their motives when they walked into say the boardroom or the the negotiating table were they saying hey i want to raise 40 million dollars because i want to get fucking rich and i want to take 20 million of it and go fuck off on an island was this their mentality not everyone of course but i did have those discussions. We had clients come in and say, we want to raise money for X, Y, Z project. And when we start to dig into why they want the money, they had no plan. Some did have a plan. There are a lot of good quality projects that will, and, and I'm an investor in one, only one during the hype, um, they're still standing strong. So there are good quality projects, but they were clouded by a lot of people thinking this was a get-rich-quick scheme. And that's not the case. Raising money is the beginning of a journey. Well, everyone thought that was the goal, the end goal. You raise a lot of money, you did it, you made it. You're just getting started. That's when the hardship starts, to build the business. And in terms of how substantial this is, all the listeners to this show and other podcasts that did invest in those tokens in those crypto because they did believe you know all, all the things that were being sold and the potential in such a short period of time you know, that money's just disappeared a lot of people have lost a lot of um, actually i remember one story there was a family that literally mortgaged everything i'm not sure if you saw that story everything they had as my father and mother and, and their two daughters i think it was i was reading that story everything everything to put it into bitcoin that was back 14 15000 back then they're the horror stories and unfortunately, they're the um, people that suffer from um, entrepreneurs that are chasing the money and um, trying to take advantage of the hype. But luckily, though, th there are regulators there, which they're not perfect. They're far from perfect. But they're starting to put a lot of those people behind bars or sending fines, a lot of fines. There's a lot of SEC subpoenas behind the scenes that have not been made public. So there's a lot more, a lot more light being shed on, on the mess that was created. But I've had those calls with projects that come in wanting to raise a lot of money. They raise a lot of money. We reject those projects. They raise millions, Matthew, mm -hmm. uh, which was crazy. You know, if we did those that, that work for them, we would have made uh, one or two million dollars. That's without a success fee. Mm -hmm. So when you said these projects came in without, and I, I've had uh, conversations with other PR agencies or consulting agencies on the show before, and they said that, yeah, there's people that come in, they just said, hey, at first they said we, they want $3 million. And then they leave and come back and say, fuck that, we want $30 million. And, you know, of course, the, All the time. This, then the founding team, All of the course, time. taking 20% uh, or 30% of, of that. You said that the horror stories are the family that mortgaged their house for Bitcoin. But that's not really an ICO. Bitcoin is still on the path of, I think, doing what it says it's supposed to do. Um, and so is any of these forks or, or any of these, you know, currency tokens or what have you. But ICOs were different because they promised the world. They promised new technologies. They promised new apps. And they promised new ways of connecting technologies. And a lot of them just didn't deliver. What was their motivations? Differentiating between Bitcoin and ICOs is extremely important. Bitcoin, Ethereum, they're incredible technologies with immense potential um, over the next 10 to 20 years. ICOs, the concept is great if done right. You, know, you can raise money from the general public if you follow the regulations, equity crowdfunding, which we're, we're doing as well in, in a space I'm a big fan of. Um, so I'm, I don't know all the technicalities, but I know Reg CF, you can raise about $2 million from anyone. That makes sense. But raising $50 million, $40 million without a clear business plan, that's... <laughs> You can only blame entrepreneurs to a certain extent. They see people wanting to put in their money and they can get their money and they might believe in those dreams they're selling other people. There are some that believe in those dreams. You cannot hold those responsible the same way you'd hold someone responsible that the investors would not be getting their money back. 
So greed does play a role. That is part of human nature. And I know that hopefully the SEC will differentiate between the people that had bad intentions and the people that just really got caught in, in the hype. I've spoken to entrepreneurs at IBC that remind me when I started my first business. I wish I had that type of money to launch my first business. I bootstrapped it with, with less than $500. So, you know, you can't blame those people at the same level. I think ICOs are an incredible way of raising funds if done right. But patience, these things take time to develop. And businesses don't need $50 million to launch. You could do it with $500,000, with a million dollars. So, yeah. And there's similar stories in the real world back in Silicon Valley. One of my competitors in, in one of my other businesses is called Juicero. Juicero raised tens of millions of dollars and they went bankrupt after a couple of years. So this is not something new. The concept of raising a lot of money, selling an incredible story, and not being able to deliver. But the intentions behind it play a big role there. Back at the beginning of this conversation, you said the heyday of 2017 will never come again. And are you referring to just the ICO space, or are you talking about Bitcoin price? I have no idea about Bitcoin price. Never did. The only thing I knew is that the parabolic growth, I'll tell everyone, it's just a matter of time before there's blood in the streets, because that just history tends to repeat itself. But whether the price will go down to $10 or will go back up to $100,000, a million dollars, I have no clue. But in terms of the hype back in 2017, whether that will repeat itself, I think there'll be a lot more money coming into the space. At IBC, we're, I'm so excited about the space now, even though I've been very critical about it back in 2017. It's just human nature, and I think it's part of the process when there's a new technology or one similar crazy stories, dot-com bubble. I think there's a lot more money that's going to be coming into the space, but it's money from investors that have invested in businesses before, as well as the general public through equity crowdfunding, Reg CF, coming into businesses that make sense, entrepreneurs with a strong team and a strong business plan. So just the basics again, and um, what makes a good business, whether you're a crypto business or a business selling chocolates to stores, you know, the same things apply, the same rules apply. You have to bring value to the world. And I think the growth that we will see over the next uh, five to 10 years, there'll be an incredible, you know, a, a incredible amount of money coming in when I don't know. And a lot of people are expecting that money to come into STOs, security token offerings, which is essentially an ICO done under the, the right regulations, Reg D. Mm -hmm. When that is, I, sp I speak to all the people in the space, whether it's consensus or, or DNA, ICO box, Gemini, every single player in the space, uh, whether they did ICOs or they do enterprise work, just to try to understand from them. I, I'm, I'm always very humble. I always ask a lot of questions. And I think most people know more than me, most people in the space. So I like to think that. So I can always keep learning. And when I ask them, when do you think that money will be coming in? I get a lot of different answers. Some say it will take five years before STOs start getting that institutional money coming in. Others say, the person I told you about earlier, the guy that started his first business was an agency in blockchain in uh, doing ICOs, and he's expecting the heydays to come back. He's expecting STOs to pick up early next year, but the technology isn't ready. The regulation isn't set up. The liquidity isn't there. Um, to answer your question, the money will be coming in. It's difficult to say when that is, but it will be coming in. In, in a way that will create more value rather than just throwing money at, at crazy ideas. What can we expect from the influencers or for the influencers that were around during the heyday that were saying, buy this ICO, buy that ICO, uh, pushing it and not saying that they got paid for it? I don't like to make a lot of assumptions, but if I was in the SEC's shoes, you know, they got to look at it from a logical perspective. A lot of these people didn't know they were promoting a security. They had no idea what a security was. They didn't even know they need to disclose if they're promoting a certain ICO. Obviously, ethically, you should, but many didn't know that. 
I think if they made money, they'll be fined. I don't think many of them will go to jail. I don't think maybe none of them will go to jail. <clears throat> and I'm not a lawyer, so. But I think the SEC will not be as strict as some expect it to be. At least not with those, uh, with the influences or anyone. Again, the intention is extremely important. And that's where the subpoenas come in, where right. they start to look into everything. Now, I, I just because of the timing of, of our interview and the nature of your business and the nature of what's happening in the market these days, I have to ask this question. Are you worried about the SEC subpoenaing uh, IBC? And is this interview uh, part of more of a way to clarify yourself of your actions in the space during that time? Good question, man. I didn't even think of this question. Really good, <laughs> really cool question. Uh, no, I'm not worried at all. I don't care how much money is involved. I like to sleep well at night. Luckily, I did well before blockchain, so I didn't have to do crazy things throughout the, you know, the hype. And we were being extremely cautious, more cautious than you'd probably expect. So yeah, IBC is definitely not going down the path of other agencies. And we haven't received any subpoenas at all. I'm pretty clear on that. Man, Matthew, I just want to, <laughs> the most important thing for me is to get a good night's sleep. Now you're going to get me thinking tonight when I go to bed. <laughs> and I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to get you uh, thinking when you, before you go to bed or make you lose any sleep. But my next question would have to be that you said that you were not very involved. Ignorance into your business is not an excuse, even though that could be a way to say, hey, you know what? I didn't know what the sales guys were doing or the marketing guys and who they were paying or who they were involved with. Is it possible that maybe you might not be implicated, maybe IBC might not be, but them as individuals? Nothing they did within IBC, that's clear. So with all my companies, I've got certain systems in place where we monitor everything. So there's nothing, at least nothing I know of, that was done illegally under IBC. You asked me for a crazy story. I'll tell you a crazy story. I'm not sure if your, your listeners know about OTC, so over-the-counter. That's when people want to invest large sums of money in crypto. Mm -hmm. They don't do it in the exchanges because it will impact the price very heavily. So there's more money moving in and out of crypto OTC over-the-counter. So direct, you connect a buyer and a seller off the exchanges so it doesn't impact the price. Then the money uh, moving in exchanges. And I would have them come in, and I promise you that's a true story. There was a buyer wanting to buy $20 billion worth of Bitcoin, and they were looking, they was looking for a seller. And then when I started, I'm like, come on. And, and I had senior people in the company trying to make it work. Now, there's a lot of these scams going around. They still go around. A lot of people still fall for them. Mm -hmm. Those things I stay away from. So $20 billion doesn't make any logical sense. There's no way Bill Gates is not putting all his money in crypto. So yeah, a lot of these crazy things did come across my desk, but I completely stayed away from them. Projects that sounded shady, not everyone in the team was caught into the hype. A lot of people in IBC came from the traditional space. I had some people from my Athena companies, my other companies come in. And when I brought in the CFO at Athena to come in, everything was audited. So nothing illegal was done, but I do know some other players definitely did some shady things. Right on, man. Well, let's just talk about the space right now. We talked about the past. We talked about ICOs. We talked about your company. We talked about you. What do you think of the space these days, right now, today? I'm, I'm pumped. I'm so excited. I'm more involved <laughs> now in IBC than I was before because now things are making sense. All my focus now is on building the relationships with VCs, family offices, investors, educating them about the technology and connecting them to quality projects. So we still get dozens of projects coming to us every week wanting us to help them raise money because VC money is skyrocketing. It's, it's grew by 300% this year according to Outlier Ventures. That's by quarter three this year. So I'll probably go up to four or 500%. So a lot of that private money is coming in. The VCs are starting to come in. And that excites me. 
That means the, the smart money is coming in and it's coming into quality projects. The projects coming to us now are really good projects that have potential. So that's good. That's really good for us. It's not, they're not paying us as much. You don't have those six-figure checks closing in one or two weeks. Mm-hmm. But that's that's fine. You've got quality projects delivering value and that will probably uh, get us a great return in a few years' time if we partner with those projects. So I'm, I'm more involved now and I'm, I'm partner at IBL. And obviously, um, there's a lot of clients wanting legal work and legal support to clean up the mess and doing a lot of that with IBL. And we're waiting for the STOs because STOs will require a lot of legal work. So that's my focus, IBC and IBL. And of course, the VC fund. Go ahead. I was going to say, there's a, there's a lot of people in the, in the crypto space that have been either around for a long time or fell off. You mentioned a couple. You mentioned Ivan on tech. You said he's a stand-up legit dude. Who are some people that you you think that are going to be long-lasting in here and people that you follow and respect in the space? There's not many podcasts I listen to. I listen to yours. It's on my SoundCloud. I've just moved to Stitches now from SoundCloud yesterday. So I listen to Crypto 101. I've got um, Ivan on Tech I listen to. I listen to the guy, the Block Geeks guy, the Amir Rosic, I think it is. And others that I don't know their names. I'm really bad with names. But I listen to a lot of players in the space that focus on the technology. So anything to do with the tech, I'm trying to learn as much as I can. And I came in 2017. So I've barely been in the industry. I'm learning every day. And most of the calls I have is me asking questions. So doing exactly what you're doing to me, but I'm doing it to others. Mm-hmm. Coming into the game in 2017 and um, making a business in 2017, uh, especially a business like <laughs> ICO Consulting, do you regret that move coming in at that time in that business? No, I don't regret it. No, I've learned a lot personally. I asked that question because it, it, it is a turbulent time. It was a, a time of, like you said, six-figure checks. It's great for business. It's great for money. But looking back, would you have done it differently maybe? Oh, I would have done many things differently. But in terms of regret, I don't regret coming into 2017. It's an incredible learning experience. You said it was a learning experience, but what did you learn? Patience. Patience is extremely important in business. It takes time to build something of value. If it seems too good to be true, there's a reason they say this. It probably is. You don't make millions like Instagram did. Those outliers are extremely, extremely rare. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the most important lesson is that all my businesses, when I got into crypto, I started thinking, man, I'll, I've got all these businesses. Okay, I got to seven figures in the first year, eight figures by the second year. But I'm looking at businesses that did a lot less than me and they got to seven figures within three months. Mm-hmm. So after a while, you know, I try to bring myself back to reality. I didn't put my money in any ICOs. I didn't start buying crypto, thankfully. I read a lot of Warren Buffett's work back in, in university. So that helped a lot. Yeah, that that probably be the, the, the thing I would have done differently, though, is bringing more people from the traditional space into IBC from the early stages rather than trying to find quote unquote blockchain or crypto experts or ICO experts. Because I was new in the space, I wanted to get the experts to come in and do things. And I'm not going to say that was the worst talent, but that was a mistake. They, those people had no experience before crypto. They're putting crypto expert on their LinkedIn. And the people like me who are new in the space, to an extent, fall for it, thinking, hey, these guys are experts. They know what to do to make sure they bring value to our clients. The best people at IBC that are still with IBC are people that were doing marketing before crypto. They were doing project management before crypto. So that's probably the, the thing I would change is getting my people from Athena into the company early on and hiring experience rather than crypto experts. That's a very good point. I like that. I like that. If somebody was listening to this podcast right now, new because, you know, Crypto 101 is Crypto 101 and, you know, it's the 101 place for people to go. 
is the SEO of it. <laughs> this might be their first podcast they're listening to, and you might have just scared the shit out of them. What would you want them to know if they're listening to this? What would you want them to take away from this conversation? You're so lucky to be in this space right now. And if you're still listening to Crypto 101, you're on the right path. If you stopped listening to Crypto 101 in the last six months, um, you know, you've just made a mistake. That's when you should be coming in. That's where the real money is going to come in, not the money that will be taken away by the SEC later or go to zero because you left it all in Ether. So there's a reason I'm getting more involved now in IBC because I see more potential now than I did before. In the early days of 2017, I thought everything would go to zero by March 2018. 2018 is almost over. We're December now. And IBC is still standing strong. We're getting good quality projects. The market is not down to zero. For me, that's one hell of an achievement because it takes time for things to grow. It took time for Amazon to become Amazon. So what I would tell everyone is, you know, look at my actions, look at what I'm doing. I'm focusing on IBC and there's a reason I'm doing that. doesn't matter what I say. That's where my time is going. And keep doing what you're doing, Matthew. And your, your SEO ranking for Crypto 101 is going to kill it in the next one to two years. You've positioned yourself early like IBC. Our rankings, our reputation in the industry, that's probably why I will never regret what we did. We came in at a great time to position ourselves as leaders, to build that reputation. And I know as the space starts to stabilize and grow steadily, we're going to be leading that growth in what we do. I mean, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Before we go, and before I ask my last question, I want to first say thank you very much for talking. Again, we mean you've been chatting via text message or emails over the past two years. Um, I think we had one actual phone conversation. Um, so it's really good to actually get to know you, get to know your story, get to talk to you, and you know, we'll pick your brain a little bit. It's a good day. It's going to be a good journey, man. I can't wait to speak to you over the next five years as the, the market matures. <laughs> Indeed, man. I can't wait to see where everybody is. Is there anything else you would like people to know about IBC or any other companies you have? Not really. You can just look me up on LinkedIn, MarioNorfel.com. Actually, my website, MarioNorfel, N for Nelly, A for Alpha, W for Whiskey, F for Fred, A for Alpha, L for Larry.com. Just thought I'd mention this. I think it's interesting. Crypto is what got me into building my brand. I didn't have LinkedIn until recently, three months ago. And I don't have Facebook. I never had Instagram. Still don't. Now they're going to see a lot of podcasts and I'm starting to contribute a lot more. But the reason I'm doing this is because of crypto. The market, the industry was so shady. The fact that I was private caused no issues for any of my companies. But then for IBC, people started wondering, you know, your, your CEO, the founder of IBC, the guy that started the company, there's nothing about him online. And they started asking IBC, which was doing everything by the book, is it a scam? And, and that got me pissed off. And then that's uh, one of the reasons I launched personal branding. And that's why I've got the website, marionorfel.com. What three songs would you like on the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist? Oh, I forgot you asked that question. Yeah, I remember. It's, it's, I don't listen to music. I, I, oh, you I, don't. The thing is, I don't, man. I just work all the time. The only music I listen to is when I go out at night uh, at least three times a week just to Latin dance. Any country I'm in, I like to dance salsa, bachata, kizumba. So any top bachata songs, put them on there. But I don't think your listeners would like them unless they dance Latin. Well, man, I think everybody likes a little bit of salsa dancing. And you can always get hype off of Latin music, no matter where you're from. Oh, man. Now, you're in Taiwan. There's a lot of great salsa in Taiwan as well. There is up in Taipei. There's a lot of good dancing in Taipei. Indeed. Actually, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of good dancing everywhere in the world, honestly. Oh, well, you're being recorded right now. If I come to Taiwan, come to Taipei, we're going out salsa dancing. Is that a yes or a no? You're being recorded. <laughs> I can't dance, but my close mate, he's a teacher, and so is his, uh, his girlfriend. So I'll, I'll sit there and drink beer and watch you guys. Oh, sweet, man. All right, well, next trip, uh, I'll see you there. All right, brother. Hey, thank you very much for having this conversation, and talk to you in the future. Thanks, man. Talk again soon. Keep right. in touch. All right, brother. Bye. Ciao, bye. 
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. And I usually reserve all of my comments for YouTube, but I had to put this one here. And this has nothing to do with Mario or IBC Consulting. This actually stems from listening to the Bitcoin Podcast Network's podcast with Mr. Ronnie Moez, co-hosted by Mr. Ray Redacted, which, if I must say, was probably one of my favorite podcasts of the year. Good job, guys. And if you want to hear Crypto 101 on their show, I am on the Bitcoin Podcast Network. And also, they are on Crypto 101. So is Mr. Ray Redacted. And this show made me realize that a lot of people that were involved in 2017, early 2018, ICO fundraising or promotion is now reaching out to YouTubers, podcasters, content creators to try to get in front of the narrative to try to clear their name before, well, their name is tarnished by all the promotion from 2017 and early 2018. So I'm very curious to see who is going to go on what show in the next couple months to try to stay ahead of the narrative. And if you're listening and are one of those people that want to stay ahead of the narrative, hey, you're welcome to come on Crypto 101 and tell your side of the story. In our next episode, we have Mr. Trace Mayer, and he's going to talk from experience. And he's going to tell us all about how he views the market these days and, of course, a 101 on himself. And like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E, Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices, CryptoNews.com for your news. And I want to say thank you very much to Randy for editing this episode. We'll see you in the next episodes of Crypto 101. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.